was waiting for them in Athens. He was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this Babylon want to say? Others said, it seems to be a proclaimer of four divinities. This is because, this is because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, and we would like to know what it means. Now, the, all, now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, He is the God, the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God, and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The word of the Lord. When was the last time you found yourself completely immersed with something? Something that you realize you're looking down and it's 11 o'clock and you look down again and it's like 2 o'clock. And you're like, where did the time go? Well, I do this with Wikipedia sometimes. I know that sounds kind of odd. Just the other day, I happened to be looking at the 1976 Summer Olympic Games, two-meter platform diving. Now, side note, I actually know the person who won the, the bronze medal. So does Michaela, somebody from our church. But I found my own. I searched that up. Montreal. That sounds like a cool place. Let me search for Montreal. And then before I know it, two hours later, I'm like, what did I just do with my time? Now, I absolutely love discovery discovering new pieces of information, learning about new things. That's why I think I love traveling so much. And maybe you're like me that I love going to a new city, especially New York City is a, is a prime example. You walk from one street and you turn the corner and it's a brand new area. And I love thinking that there have been thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not millions of people who have experienced the same thing that I'm about to turn the corner and walk down as well. I like trying new foods understanding and finding out new cultures. It just, it, if you know me, you know I love doing this, right? But it's this discovery piece, right? Maybe you're like me in this way. But in this passage, we see that Paul is in Athens. And the people he's going to be talking with, 
these philosophers, they're all about this too. They want and they love news. And Paul is going to bring them the good news, right? But they love discovery. They love learning new things. And so that's kind of where we're at in this passage. So let me give just a quick little background. How did, how did Paul become in Athens here? Well, he's in Berea with Timothy and uh, Silas before this. And this bunch of Jews were following them around. Jews that didn't want good stuff for Paul and his team. He'd been put in prison. Um, they're trying to catch him there. Not good stuff. They're stopping his missionary journey to spread the gospel of Christ. And so he goes ahead and he goes to Athens. And Paul is supposed to literally just kind of hang out in Athens and wait for Silas and Timothy to come along. right? But as again, we see here in verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. right? He was supposed to wait at them, but he couldn't help it. He had to go and start talking. So that's kind of what gets us to, to that beginning point of this passage and kind of what, what Luke is setting up for us in this dialogue later that we're going to see in a few verses. So as Scripture goes, Paul dialogues and argues with these Greek philosophers and is brought to the Areopagus. And again, it says this in verse 19. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, May we know what this teaching is? that you are presenting. The Areopagus, it, think of it kind of like the House of Representatives. It could actually mean like the people that make up this thing, or it could mean the building itself. As you notice here as well, this is unlike another city. He's not in chains. He's not arrested. Now it says he's getting brought to it, and the Greek's not super clear. Is he forced to go there? Or is he just kind of led there and he's kind of wanting to talk to the group? I kind of see it as the other. They're wanting to know more information about him. They think he's a little crazy too. Um, the Greek word that we get translated as babbler, it's kind of a strange word. It literally means like a bird. A bird like a, a raven or a rook. And if you've ever seen these, these birds, I, you know, if you ever go to like a park, um, and you see these birds pecking at seeds, right? They'll pick up a seed, they're like, oh, you're going to eat the seed, and they just drop it. And they're making all these noises, and you, you watch them for a minute or two, and you're like, what are they doing? They, they're not eating anything. They're not going anywhere. They're just making a bunch of noise. So there's definitely a group of people that were very intrigued by Paul here, but they didn't exactly know what he was saying. So they invite him to this area. So then we see in verse 22... As we might expect Paul uh, to say many things to these Greek philosophers. The question is, will he berate them? Like he does in some of his letters, the people he talks to them, for their false idols and unbelief. Will he lead in with Jesus as the cornerstone of faith? Like he does in other portions of Scripture. No. Instead, he does something very unique and different, as Luke describes here. Here's what it says in verse 22. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. Extremely religious in every way. Instead, this is how he goes about it. He affirms their religiosity. Now, in our culture here, when we say somebody is super religious, right, that's not necessarily always a good thing. Actually, in our culture and context, that can be a bad thing. Luke's not using it that way. 
in this example. The negative term to this would be more on the line of superstitious in the Greek. And we know that's not the case just if you kept reading it. He's not talking about superstitions. And so Paul is affirming, in a positive way, their religiosity, right? Let's read on. Verse 23 says, For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Did you catch that? Let me read this last part. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. He's saying that he doesn't like all these idols out here. He doesn't like what's going on, but when he comes to this altar to an unknown God, he's affirming that you may not know this name, but you might be worshiping God. That's what, I mean, that's what the, the scripture is saying here. And in describing God, Paul contextualizes it in the very Greek culture of Athens and the people he is talking to. He even goes so far, if we keep reading this part, to not just quote Hebrew scriptures like he does in his letter. Paul knows the Hebrew very well, right? The Hebrew scriptures. The Old Testament, we call it now. As he does so often in his letters, in verse 28, you know what he quotes? This is kind of strange, but this is the word of God here. He quotes two Greek philosophers. For, and then quotes in the text, it says, For in him we live and move and have our being. That is a Greek philosopher of Epicurus or whatever. We have the record of that quote from, uh, from his source, his book, before that. He's quoting that. And then if, if we were unfamiliar or we're questioning that, he even says, Luke does here, for Paul, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Another Greek philosopher. He's setting up and using that. It's very intriguing, right? So for me, and you know, every service should include at least one reference to the Enneagram, right? So here's my, here's my one reference. Being a one, that makes me nervous. This passage makes me nervous. Why? If, if you're a one, which there's very few in, you know, Kaleo. But I like order, right? I like... Uh, consistency, and I like, I want Paul to say the same thing he did to the Corinthian church. I want him to lead in with Jesus first, and come about it from a different way, but he doesn't. You know why he doesn't? He knows his audience. He understands this culture, and so he's going to lead in in a different way. And here's the thrust of all this. Catch this. This is very important here. There's a difference between a Greek god and the god in Greece. There's a difference between American Jesus and the Jesus in America. Let me see that once more. There's a difference between the American Jesus and Jesus in America. I did do a project. Maybe Caleb did this one as well. We took a class at Trebekah about North American church history with Steve Hoskins. And we had to do what's called the American Jesus Project. And my, my group, which was me and another religion major, we did a short documentary where we went around to churches in Nashville and interviewed uh, pastors about their thoughts on Jesus. And we just asked the kind of blanket open questions. What are the, the biggest characteristics that you talk about in your sermons about Christ? 
how do you view Jesus? We even show pictures like of artwork of Jesus and said, what do you think about this picture? And it's interesting to see how each of these pastors portrayed and saw Jesus slightly different based on their context, their worldviews, their background, lots of different things. Well, I had a good friend, um, Doug Lane, that he did this project. Now, this was in the springtime, and this was, this was just the best project ever because March Madness had just happened, right? And if you're a big basketball fan, you know, that's, it's just been done with for a few weeks. Well, it was around that same time. So Doug found 16 unique Jesus characteristics. Some were Jesus is the wise sage, Jesus Christ superstar, these things that we kind of equate Jesus to, the manly redeemer, right? The sweet savior. These different contexts that we tend to sometimes pigeonhole Jesus in. So what he did is he wrote this paper, and he basically went up to different people and asked them, okay, who do you think is better? Jesus Christ Superstar, and he got their thoughts on it, or the wise sage Jesus. And whoever got most votes moved to the next round, and he kept going through it. But to show our culture is so much that way, right? It's so much that way, because we so often see the American Jesus instead of the Jesus of America. Right? It's not bad to find metaphors in the local life of people to talk about God. That's not the problem. And that's what Paul does, right? That's where, that's where we begin. But for us in America, I think, I think where we begin is important. Do we start in America and see God through our countries, right? Do we start the opposite, though? Let me say that again. Do we start with our country and then see Jesus through those lens? Or do we start with Jesus and see everything through that lens? It's a very big difference. Right? A lot of religions don't do it this way, though. Christianity is. It's, very, it's culturally based, yes, and we have to be careful there. But if you're familiar with um, Islam, Islam doesn't do this at all. Even their holy scripture, the Quran, is not even supposed to be translated out of Arabic. That's how you're supposed to understand it. That's how you're supposed to learn it. And it's almost an abomination to read the Quran outside of its original language. And so they would even understand Paul coming in here and said, well, wait a minute, you're doing it completely opposite of you done before. That's wrong. Understand your culture. That's, you're not supposed to do it. That's what it was set at the beginning. It was in Arabic. That's what we're going to learn it as. Or in our case, we should all learn Greek, right? Or Aramaic, or Hebrew. But no, Christianity says... It's good to contextualize things, but also don't make that the first and foremost piece. It's a balance, and I realize that. So as we encounter people, is it okay, which is even desirable, to again contextualize God and Jesus, just so long as we don't turn God into something he or she is not? And it turned him into an idol. So we can't simply try to assimilate Jesus into our culture, but instead we must allow God to infiltrate our culture. There is a difference there. We must remember that we serve a God that gave Moses the name of, I am who I am. When asked, how do I pinpoint you, God? Basically, that's the question. What's your name? God says, I am who I am. I was who I was, and I'm going to be who I'm going to be. 
We have tried countless ways to talk about God and describe God, but God is who He is. Christ should be proclaimed here in America, but let us be careful into turning Him into a bigger, better version of the American dream of wealth, health, happiness, and even safety that our culture pushes as the benchmark to having it made. If that is our God, we may as well be worshiping one of the Greek gods, like Athena or Zeus. The God in Greece is the same God who reigns here in America today, and who reigns in our world, and who reigns from the beginning of time till the end of time. That God has not changed. Paul understands the people he was talking with and how they needed to hear God, not what they wanted to hear, but how they needed to hear. Did you catch that? He knew how to approach it, even though they wanted to hear probably something different. He knew their culture well enough and their desire for discovery. And he knew if he led some other way in talking to him, he meant never have gotten to share the good news fully. Although not in this passage, verse 34 even goes on right after this to talk about that many were actually saved and came to follow him because of how kind of how he approached it. Wrapping up here. So as we approach our neighbor, as we approach our friends, as we approach those people we're going to encounter, college students as you go back home or stay in town, as you start new jobs, as as we just encounter life, people in grocery store right there. Let us make sure we are sharing again the Jesus of America, the Jesus of our community, the Jesus of our world, and not simply the American Jesus with all of its wealth, health, happiness, safety as the first and foremost that then mandates us thinking Jesus in a different way. Let me pray for this one. God, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for giving me, even as a one, a different outlook of what it means to represent you and to talk about you in a different context and in a different world. Lord, help us never to forget that you are God and that we are to worship you. But let's also not forget that we can approach your throne and we can love you and we can proclaim your name in lots of different ways. And I think this is very clear here. Lord, be with us as we go throughout our day. Lord, be with our graduates. Be with our whole community. Amen. If someone wants to help the graduate kids, we're going to transition.